and welcome to the Austin Art Talk podcast. My name is Scott David Gordon, your host. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen, and I do hope you're enjoying the interviews I've been sharing. The focus of this podcast is on the creative people of Austin, Texas. My intention is to have conversations that are meaningful, inspiring, and in-depth, with the goal of making a connection first with the person I'm interviewing, hopefully adding value to their life and career, and then sharing that content with the local community and potentially anyone in the world. Please share any feedback you have and leave me a rating and review on iTunes. That could help others find the podcast and inspire them to take a chance and give it a try. And if you're listening to this through an app on your phone, be sure to visit austinarttalk.com on your computer to get the full effect of each episode's webpage and to follow the links provided that are relevant to the guests and what we talk about. Also on the contact page of the website, you can sign up for my weekly email announcement when a new episode is published. And please follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Austin Art Talk. Elizabeth Childs creates photographic collages and complex composites with images she has taken of nature. Her love of the natural world began as a child, but it was not until college that she found her innate calling to create art. Since moving back to Austin after graduate school and working at many prestigious art galleries, she has continued to pursue the same questions that have fascinated and motivated her all along. Find out all about those questions in her interview and get the details about her current exhibition called Weave, which is at Grey Duck Gallery until May 20th, 2018. Elizabeth's knowledge of art and history and photography is vast, and we only just scratched the surface. So hopefully there will be a part two at some point. So here is Elizabeth. Well, good morning, Elizabeth. Thanks for being on my podcast. Good morning, Scott. Glad are, to be here. <laughs> how are you doing this morning? Good. Um, so people, for people that don't know you or aren't familiar with your work, how would you kind of summarize yourself as an artist, if that's possible? <laughs> oh, surely it's possible. And it's the answer would depend on the day, of course. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's the elevator pitch that everyone talks about. And then there's yeah. the, you've had a couple of beers pitch. <laughs> yeah. What's the elevator pitch? <laughs> uh, um, the elevator pitch is, uh, I make collages. Okay. That's what I've been saying lately as a kind of avoiding the topic of, I'm a photographer. Mm-hmm. Um, feeling like that hasn't ended up. Uh, in the conversations I, you know, casually want to have or whatever. So it just seems like collages is, that's what I say right now. Yeah, photographic based, but sometimes actual collages too of different elements. Um, yes, I, for a minute I did make some like cut paper collages, but I'm not sure if you've ever seen those. I really showed one one time at the Harry Ransom Center in a little something, but um, no, they're, they are photo based. Yeah, the elevator speech right now is I make collages or photographic collages and they're usually based on nature yes what is your connection to nature why is it so strong in your work well when i was a kid i i spent my entire childhood outside Mm -hmm. in a very unorganized way and that since i grew up in the suburbs of houston and a area called jersey village in the late 70s and we didn't have fences between uh, any of the houses and so in the backyard, it was like a giant open meadow. Yeah. Um, because you had not only 
your backyard and your neighbors to the left and right's backyard, but you're behind your house neighbors and their yard. So it was just a giant park basically between, and that sounds very idyllic and it, it, it wasn't necessarily, it was just a bunch of big green space, you know, and no rules pretty much, you know, um, there was, in my memory, there were no parents around, you know, and that, that's probably pretty accurate. I mean, my parents worked full time and they weren't there and my friends on the street, their parents were the ones watching me, but you know, we were all out there exploring and just messing around. And, um, so it wasn't like Robert Adams is a favorite photographer of mine. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, one of many artists that I love, but he had a childhood out of doors that was like much more like, you know, in the wilderness and like, like knowing about ecology and sort of hands on with his parents and grandparents. And it, it feels that to me seems very, you know, wholesome and nature with a capital N and sort of yeah. really getting an understanding of things. Like a My, naturalist. Or exactly. Mine was more like, you know, kids, you know, what is this weird weed thing that when you pull it up and you break it in half, like milky stuff comes out weird. Yeah. And then, you know, sort of then deciding to collect all of them that you could find and like make something out of it. And yeah. so it was much more like suburban wilderness or yeah. you know just like finding things to discover yeah <laughs> or like experimental create. or being in awe kind of just yes being curious yes so it can it comes out of that and then there's lots of other ways that it threads through but i think the foundation of it is from just having a sense of openness hmm. you know the big texas sky it's very flat in that scenario that i was explaining you yeah. know about the you know it was just openness, open sky, open field. And uh, then over the years, you know, appreciation of like texture and subtleties of color and the way light moves through things and things that as a kid, you know, really affected my imagination, you know, just, Hmm. you know, in a moment of quiet, when you can feel just what it is to sort of be in the world and see, you know, light moving through something and like, oh, it changes your, it changes your pace. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the pace of my childhood. You know, it was sort of like a day was an eternity because there was nothing we were in particular we were doing. We weren't like rushing around for soccer practice or like getting in the car. Like we didn't go anywhere. We stayed there all day. You yeah. know, we just, we didn't need any much. So it's that, it's that, I guess. Yeah. And was art ever a part of your upbringing? Like any, did you do any art or was there any influence of art surprisingly no okay it's something that felt like a almost like a shortcoming in some ways when i went to college that was like so many people i went to college with had you know spent extensive time in europe for example or you know had taken didn't summer camps at the met or i don't know just things that i had didn't even know existed and was like completely unaware of and um um, i hadn't been out of the country when i went to college and I think it wasn't until I was in my twenties that I finally was like, I was when I was in college, sort of jumping around here. But when I was in college, I finally got curious about like, well, what's our nationality? Like, hmm. we never, t- I never talked about anything heritage wise. And when I was in college, like, I felt like all these people knew what their heritage was, and that was being from Texas. I was in, I was in college in New York, and in Texas, you're Texan. If you're mm-hmm. from Texas and your parents are from Texas, it's like, 
do you know what I'm yeah. mean when I say that? It was yeah. like you when you're from Texas and your parents are from Texas, you don't think, oh, but my great-grandmother was German and da-da-da. I mean, anyway, so I finally kind of was asking my parents about those kinds of things. And then, so my, my great-grandmother was a concert pianist and of some renowned, you know, played in, in Europe. And my grandmother was an English professor and had done like lectures at, at Oxford and X, Y, and Z. So there was some like a couple generations back, actually pretty interesting histories and stories and stuff. But growing up, that was not like on the table or something that we like talked about or affected anything about our daily lives or anything. So it was interesting to then when I was sort of claiming my, um, claiming my stake as an artist within my fa- within my family that mm. that I realized that there was like a history of it and and that um as much as my parents wanted to make me feel like or or whether they wanted to or not they were making me feel like it was a somewhat arbitrary choice um and it felt to me like it was an innate sort of calling or what you know yeah. it was in me in some way and then I once I kind of knew more about like my family history I I realized that it probably wasn't me to a degree, you know, that it that it was sort of born there. Yeah. But um my parents didn't didn't really cultivate it. The if they did anything to cultivate my creativity, it was by not giving me too many rules. <laughs> you know. Yeah. It was by like, oh, here's a long leash and you know. Yeah. Well, what was the choice that you made? I'm just wondering, did you did you just go to college right out of high school and what was the choice that you, I mean, what path were you on at that point? Yeah, I, I did go to straight away to college and I had no idea what I was going to study. Okay. It was just not even a question that I would go straight to college, I guess. And um, I discovered, I think my sophomore year, I was supposed to declare a major and it was the only class that I had taken that I was really interested in was an art history class. And so I declared art history major. And then I'm so glad I did because it was through the course of that major that I found myself as an artist Mm. through thinking about um, specifically like William Turner's paintings and um, like early photographic devices, you know, um, like the zoopraxiscope and things that were like, okay. how do you measure time? And um, so things I had concerns that I just described from my childhood about extensive, like time, slowness, the body in the natural world. And how do, how does an artist sort of render that experience? Um, this professor, Jonathan Crary was, you know, talking about those things mm. and showing us artists that, we're addressing those questions and the technology, the question of how technology was sort of fracturing the second. And once the second is fractured in photography is like, Oh, uh, Rebecca Solnit said, it's like the equivalent of like the atomic bomb. You know, it's like you fracture an atom, you fracture a second. Like, what does that do to our sense of time? Yeah. And I was like fascinated by all these questions and they related to things I cared about like deeply on a cellular way from my childhood. And it was like, that was it. That was the first thing that time that intellectually there was a match between this other thing that I had loved so much, which was just being out in the world. And it it is nature, but I put, it's like, it's just, for me, it's like lying in the hammock and just sort of watching the breeze move through and just sort of being, it's not necessarily, you know, 
hiking and yeah. turning stones over and sort of doing research on um, a particular worm species or something. Although that's interesting to me too. It's That's not really where the work comes from. So you had this revelation in this class and you kind of made this connection to yourself with this other people's work. And then maybe you started thinking about like, what can I add to the conversation or what kind of work can I do? What technology to kind of be a part of that or to express your own feelings about it? Sure. Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, that was like 20 years ago. Yeah. And I've recently feel like I'm getting somewhere in terms of like saying, you know, saying something uniquely from me on the subject that is, you know, 160 years of, you know, artists in different disciplines who are interested in, you know, where, where we share interests and how they've addressed those questions that say through painting, like Cezanne is a great example in painting, someone I studied for a long time, you know, just personally studying his compositions and thinking about how he addressed like perception and looking at nature and how do you render that, you know, the complexity of the shifting moment constantly, the light is shifting, your your perception's shifting, your body's shifting. It's, I mean, it's wild. And um, he was notoriously kind of neurotic about it. Um, mm. I understand that because it can sort of drive you batty thinking about those things. You know, it's like, oh my God, it's constantly shifting. I'm shifting, you're shifting. <laughs> like, yeah. Where does it stop? Makes uh, me think of plain air painting. I just yes. always wonder how people do that. <laughs> Yes. Well, that's because all those choices you're making as the scene changes, as the light moves. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank goodness, though, that there are other people who are interested in the same things that we are. So you can sort of enter into a dialogue across time. Like, what did what did this person do about it? Or yeah, how did they think about that? Um, It just makes me think of how much we're used to immediate gratification or things being so incredibly easily available to us at all times, information, movies, TV shows, music, uh, ordering things online, it's all so immediate. Yeah. But I wonder if people don't think, oh, I'm going to start working on this art that I love, and it might not be 20 years before I actually get to a point where I feel like I've started getting a glimmer of what I'm hoping for. I know exactly what you're getting at. And I completely, I think if I had known 20 years ago that it would be 20 years, that would be, that would have blown my mind, of course, because it would have been (laughs) twice my life ago, you know, like, wait, I've spent 20 years getting to this point. How can I spend 20 more years till I really kind of do the thing that I feel in my bones is like what I am meant to do and what I want to do. And uh, my parents always say, because I have a two-year-old now, and whenever she's being difficult, they're like, ha, 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 because you were so difficult. (laughs) You know, anyway, so sometimes I think that it's, I don't know if I was difficult or not. I like to think that I um, was focused. Yeah. You know. Intense. (laughs) But um, yeah, I think that that focus, that sort of like, this is what I'm feeling that I should be doing, and this is what I'm going to do, and whatever it takes. And it's, it's not going to be that quality is a good one <laughs> Yeah. because, um, and I don't think we should try to squelch it out of our kids or anybody else, but sort of like try and try and mold it a little bit, you know, and, and that takes a lot of patience, of course. And, but, and all that came out of like this realization you had from this one class, you're just like, 
this is my path. Yeah. So often in my uh, adult life, especially, I've been at a crossroads and totally stuck. Like, mm. I've got to figure out what I'm going to do. Do I stay in this relationship? Do I move? Do I quit this job? You know, et cetera. And haven't felt like I could get, you know, I could meditate or pray for the answer or just receive the answer. There was no answer. It just seemed like I had to freaking decide or like, yeah. <laughs> you know, figure it out. <laughs> you know, intellectually, it was it's awful. Absolutely awful. Yeah. I hate those crossroads so much. And um, what a gift when you like have this thing of knowing, like when you actually receive a sense of like, oh my God, this is the right thing. Like, Clarity. Clarity. Yeah. It doesn't come very often, and I've asked for it so many times. Yeah. But um, yeah, that was a great gift that I got. I don't know where it came from, but it was just like, this is it. Yeah. And so with that knowledge, and it felt like that. It was a knowing that mm. was like so sure that it it didn't. I didn't have to question it. And so that's been a great assurance for moving forward with things. Yeah. And yeah. what happened next? So you had that class and then you just, what changed after that? You know, then began the winding path, the 20 year winding path. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was like baby first step. Well, college was over, live in New York. Where am I? What am I going to do? I moved back to Houston, got an apartment in the museum district, took a photography class with Amy Blakemore at the Glassell School. Loved the class, loved Amy, liked Houston to a degree, but it wasn't, it wasn't going to be isn't going to stick. So I left and I moved to Boston, hmm. moved in with some friends from high school who were there, got a job in a great gallery that I loved. I still love, still exist. Barbara Krakow. And it was great. I built a dark room and my boyfriend at the time helped me do that. That was great. Good guy. And so I started making portfolio um, and oh, it wasn't making a portfolio. I was just making work. Yeah. And um, eventually it became a portfolio four years later. So, so it was just, you know, having a job in the arts and then making my work when I could and then applying to graduate school. I knew I wanted to go to graduate school in San Francisco. I had a very strong feeling that I needed the light. I had been in the Northeast then for eight years, four in college and yeah. four working at Krakow and working in the dark room and stuff. And I realized that I didn't know that much about my work yet. I hmm. I was doing a lot of writing about it and I had was doing some things related to time and Yeah, what was your work like during that four year period or that portfolio? Like you were shooting film or Yes, 35 millimeter black and white, you know, of course processing my film and yeah. just doing it all by hand and it was it was trying to find a language for the same questions that I had that you know, in college, the same questions I have now and just experimenting with what the medium could do to address these questions of the lived experience, the body in time and space, abstracting the elements of photography, like the frame, the limits of the frame, the mm -hmm. limits of that fraction of a second. How do, how can I address this and sort of complicate it and make it what I thought was like alive or more true to what a moment in the world actually is like. Were you also studying at that time? Anything in particular? Looking at different artists' work or reading? or The gallery was my primary education. 
which is great because then that left me freed up in my evenings, yeah. for example, wow. just to do the mm-hmm. do my own work. But I mean, the gallery was fabulous. We showed Uta Barth's work and Saul Witt and Richard Tuttle and just all kinds of people that I really admire still as artists, people who um asking big questions and making work that's joyful and funny and smart and thoughtful and I was not previously familiar with their work. So mm-hmm. all of that came from working at the gallery and it was a nice slow education. And four years seems like a good block of time. It's like yeah. the amount of time for high school and college and yeah, my, right. in my case my first job. Yeah. Um, and then you were also learning really about the promotional and commercial side of art too, I would assume. Which yes. probably came in handy or comes in handy now. It comes in really handy. It also is pretty annoying. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> because I noticed I noticed that um and when I moved to San Francisco, right. I, um I ended up work after graduate school I worked in another gallery and then I worked in a gallery in Austin. So all said I worked in commercial galleries for 8 years. Uh three different galleries that are all great ethically and also in terms of the work they show and great, really good experiences. But that said, um, the joy for me comes in just the, the making of my work. And then unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how I'm feeling about it, yeah. it's like, <laughs> then I get to the point of like tidying it up and packaging it for a show. And like, then I get into a place that I actually don't particularly enjoy, but, but for better or worse, I, I do have the experience and the skill set of like, talking about work and um, talking about my work in, in particular, I guess. And then, yeah, like you said, the commercial aspects of it. So um, maybe from all that gallery experience, it might be hard to summarize it, but I mean, are there any key lessons that you pulled away from that, that you could share that other artists might find valuable that maybe aren't as clued in? Yeah. I think for me, one that I come back to, often um just was thinking about it this morning yeah is that um client relationships or collector relationships are relationships you know that they are they seem like those relationships unfold over time and i think it's for example when i'm talking to someone about my work i'm never thinking about whether they're going to buy it mm. and then when later they might inquire about the work or something i'm also not really thinking they're going to buy it and i always assume that they're probably not going to buy it it has no importance to me in terms of like the conversation with that person full stop. Yeah. Newson is like, I of course want the love for them to buy the work because for me recognizing how I can use money to keep my life going, both yeah. my, you know, our domestic life and then also my work life that they both require money. And so I do need to sell things and I need that, to happen occasionally, or the more often, the better. That said, when I'm talking to someone, that conversation has nothing to do with whether or not they're going to buy the work. And then if that happens, that's a separate thing. You yeah. know. How do you think that you found yourself in a place where you don't feel that sense of desperation or lack of kind of like wanting or needing that sale or that validation? Oh, I think that's... That's definitely there. I think it's just a wisdom to say, like, wanting that or whatever is not going to make it happen in this case. And I find a need that I have that's just as strong is to connect with people and have a real conversation with someone Mm. about 
their interest, my interest, where those things are intersecting. I mean, for someone to come in the studio and see something that makes them want to talk to me Mm. is already exciting and something I need. Because so much of the time I spend making the work on my own and having my conversation with dead artists, you know. (laughs) And so I think it's it's pretty thrilling when someone comes in and and they want to talk to me about you know how my work relates to what they think about or so that's also something I need. In which case I I just assume that you know I just take that gift as it comes, and then if it leads somewhere else, that's a separate gift. So they're, they're, I like the compartmentalization you're talking about. It's like, it's not all one thing. It's like different stages, different relationships, different parts of the process. Yes. And I've found that occasionally I have sold things to people without having an extended conversation prior to the sale. And that's, it's always felt for lack of, I think this is the right word. It's like confusing to me. Mm. I'm like, are you sure? Like, I don't even understand why you like it. Like, what's going on here? You are you sh- okay? So you're going to give me money for this? Like, I don't even know. I don't understand what they're seeing. I don't understand what their they're going to, what their motivation yeah. is, where it's going to go. It's very confusing, and I also feel that then I don't know how to follow up with them. And whereas most of the time that someone ends up purchasing a piece, we've had a long conversation. I have a pretty good understanding of how they relate to the piece. And then it makes it a completely natural thing for me to then to then later send them a note yeah. about any old thing, you know, you have a little bit of a relationship. Yes, going. exactly. Yeah. And I, then it feels like there's some kind of a, a understanding and a mutual thing. So mm-hmm. that's, um, it's very confusing when it doesn't happen that way to me. So it seems then like it's probably, it might not be okay for you, for someone just to like your work aesthetically only. Like you want them to really understand your motivations and what it means to you. Or can they just think, oh, that's really pretty. I want to put that over my couch. Is that kind of gross or is that okay too? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's interesting, you know, where (laughs) without alienating any collectors or future (laughs) no um you know everyone is welcome here that's for sure but um no the i think the most satisfying is what and what i was trying to get at earlier is is learning more about someone else coming in like not necessarily for them to understand everything about who i am because no one ever can i mean my husband doesn't understand everything about who i am my parents don't um i barely do yeah so i'm not asking I would never think that that would be the case for someone coming in to look at the work, mm-hmm. but there might be a thread of something that they can relate to. And then that's really exciting and a place that I find satisfying and that breaks the kind of otherwise what can be isolating experience of, and wondering, you know, how the work affects other people or moves mm-hmm. to other people. So, you know, that's an ideal thing is, yeah. When someone is willing to, you know, engage that conversation, but. What did you learn in graduate school? Like, what did that do for you? Because you, you'd said you'd really wanted to do that and you made it happen. I'm assuming it's not easy to get into grad school, but you made it happen. And how did that advance your career or your knowledge or your, you know, artistic 
Well, I think it was necessary for me because my undergraduate degree was in art history, and I had actually never taken a studio class besides oh, the right. black and white class with Amy. <laughs> yeah, um, okay. So it was interesting, though, because I was very, very strong in other areas. I had the four years working at the gallery, which was like, like I said, hugely educational. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we were going to see Bill T. Jones dance performances. And I mean, she just was taking us to lectures at Harvard. And wow. um, so it was like, it was really educational. It wasn't like I was like, you know, hawking pictures. It was thoughtful. So going into graduate school, I had a degree in art history, and I had four years of working in a gallery. And so a lot of the people that were in graduate school didn't have either of those experiences, but had a whole BFA and had taken, you know, 15 studio classes and had tons of technical skills and things they had tried out. I hadn't done any of that. Never taken a drawing or a painting class. I'd never taken any print and printmaking classes. I mean, I was all new to me. So I was trying to figure out, you know, it was like I had all these kind of poetic ideas um, about about life and art and who I was and what I had to say. And I didn't really know how to say him. Hmm. The woman who ran the graduate school at the time, Sabrina Ott, who I think is in Chicago now said, I said something that I remember, which was that, you know, being an artist was like 50% philosophy and 50% technical. And it was like, I had the philosophy down (laughs) and I had like zero in the technical department, you know, I mean, I obviously could, could do black and white printing well, um, and that was about it. Mm-hmm. And I had already knew before I went to graduate school that I wasn't gonna, even going to be doing black and white anymore. Hmm. Um, that I had a real interest in light and color. And so that was, I, I did at least have that in my belt going in, that that was, was kind of a an entryway, but, you know, an entry question into making. But um, so graduate school for me was dipping my toe in the making, the making part. So you were just making in all different ways, all different things. I mean, yes. you're just kind of exposed to everything, the range of... Well, I chose to take video classes, and then I chose to take bookmaking, performance, things that I still do to a degree. Hmm. I mean, just those are all things that are still really interesting to me. I still make books and video and do performance. So um, I didn't do all things. I didn't take any pa- drawing and painting classes. I didn't take uh, printmaking and so on. So I guess it was just kind of following my instincts about which things were yeah. most relevant to to what I was going to do. But. And no photography? Or you were just doing that all along anyway? Doing that all along. Okay. Yeah. So it was an it was not a generalized MFA program. It was at San Francisco Art Institute. It was a... Um, you know, I was getting an MFA in photography. I'd been accepted in the photography okay. area. So, right. Yeah. When you finished that, what was your feeling about your career, about art, about what you wanted to do? For me, feeling is the same as knowing. Okay. But I felt slash knew that I wasn't <laughs> ready to be a full-time artist. I didn't know what that meant exactly, um, even being a full-time artist or or the notion of not being ready, but that was how it felt. Like It was like a line of text across my gut that was like, you're not ready to be a full-time artist. And okay. um, I had had a sense, actually, when I moved to San Francisco, I knew about Frankel Gallery, um, which is like a world-renowned photography gallery. I mean, just phenomenal. I knew about the gallery and I had had a sense when I moved there that maybe I would work there at some point. Long story short, as I contacted my old boss in Boston and I said, you know, there's this job opening at 
what was the name of the gallery? It wasn't Rena Branston, but which is a gallery in, in San Francisco that I also really like, but it was a, not her gallery. It was another gallery across the street from Frankel that had an opening. And, you know, I forget what the position was, but I thought I would like to work there. It was also a known gallery. And I asked her if she would, rec- you know, send a note to the owner of the gallery. And she did. And that person wrote back to her and said, Oh, Barbara, great to hear from you. And we've already filled the position. Um, so that was that. And Barbara wrote me back and said, Oh, they've already filled the job. So life went on. And uh, I was looking at other jobs and I had played volleyball was actually, we haven't talked about that, but that was oh. my first passion okay. was sports. Um, oh. And uh, that's going to throw a wrench in things, but <laughs> we did, <laughs> we've talked a little bit about like my interest in, um, you know, the body in the world and so on. So yeah, I love, loved volleyball. Hmm. Yeah. So I played volleyball in high school and, uh, in college I played it. Um, yeah, at Columbia. So I was looking, I thought, Oh, maybe I'll coach volleyball. That would be interesting. And I don't know. I just, I just knew that I wanted to avoid having a job that would be soul crushing. So yeah. I was sort of feeling, <laughs> putting my feelers out. Oh, can I get this? There was a gallery job. Oh, that's gone. Well, maybe I could coach volleyball. And I don't know. And then I was having a dinner with a friend and I was like, I'm sorry. I'm just going to run. It was at my house. I'm going to run and check my email real quick. I'm just see if there's a job miracle. It was the weirdest thing. I (laughs) literally said a job miracle. I went to my computer and then I came running back in. Oh my God. Frankel gallery, the gallery I just mentioned, they have a job opening that they didn't, they hadn't listed in San Francisco. They had only listed it in New York on NIFA, you know, the New York foundation of the arts, Mm -hmm. which I wasn't looking on that Barbara Krakow had, this is the weirdest, weirdest story. Okay. So the director at Frankel Gallery, <laughs> the director at Frankel Gallery had gotten a resume for the job as associate director from a person who had worked at Barbara Mathis Gallery in New York. But when she saw that, she thought of Barbara Krakow and she called Barbara Krakow. Oh, yeah. And said, hey, I've got this resume here for Joe Schmo. Did, do you know her? And, and Barbara said, no. She never worked here or he never worked here, but Elizabeth Childs is looking for a job. (laughs) Can you believe that? It was so weird. (laughs) And then I, at the moment when I said, I'm going to check for a job miracle, there had actually been a job miracle. It was the weirdest thing, how it came to me. And then, so the director of, of Frankel wrote to me and said, our mutual friend, Barbara Krakow, Hey, I talked to Barbara Krakow today. And she said that, you were, you know, a great worker for her and that you were looking for a job and we have an opening and do you want to come and talk to me? And I was like, Oh my God. Yes. I want to come talk to you. This is, this is totally the learning next learning curve that I need to kind of get at. So that was a great, great job. I'm so grateful for that. And it was, it was hard to leave, but after two years I did have that feeling that I had of you're not ready was gone. And it was like, you're ready. You gotta, you gotta go do this thing. And, um, that's really when the uphill battle started because for those previous 10 years was just sort of like, I was young and I was kind of figuring it out and things were kind of working out. Obviously I had a job miracle thrown my way. That was pretty fabulous. Yeah. But then deciding to leave and really try to give it a go as a full-time artist, that's when it was like, okay, now's when you have to really dig your heels in. It was a lot harder than the previous 10 years. Yeah. So the previous 10 years had just been about 
learning and absorbing and experiencing and exactly what did you learn at that gallery working there for two years a lot of different things but it was just a level of polish and sophistication to the way things ran oh my gosh well the gallery publishes books and so we were you know constantly working on a book project so much to learn obviously yeah in that process um Every show was just so beautifully put together. And it because it's specifically photography, even though my work is very painterly. Yeah. Um, it but is, you're not a painter. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> is, is grounded in the questions of the medium of photography. And one thing about the gallery that I really immediately noticed is like each photograph is treated like an object. And by that, I mean... This sounds awful to me, like objectifying something, (laughs) right? But at the end of the day, it is a thing. Mm -hmm. The photograph is a thing, just the same way a sculpture is a thing, or, you know, you're creating a noun. It functions, hopefully, as a verb and an an adjective and and is very complex in in the, the language game, if you will. But it's you're creating something that's a noun. Like, it felt like that. Like, every picture was just the perfect frame and the Mm. perfect, like everything was treated like this is a singular thing. And it stood out to me that that was never spoken about. Mm. You know, it wasn't something that they were saying. It was something they were doing and I was seeing in a new way. And, and it really made me feel like each time I make something that it needs to sing, you know, it needs to be in a way now it sounds very obvious. Of course it does. But, um, I saw it in a different way there. Yeah. All aspects of it have to be considered very carefully. Like the glass and the wood or the whatever, everything, the size, yes. the type of paper, the matting, everything is yes. very, yeah. And they, they were just so respectful of all of the work too, just inc- more thoughtful, more engaged than I had ever seen about an individual work of art. And Seeing things circulate on that level was very beautiful. I mean, it's it's like every artist's dream would be to have a gallery handling your work like that, mm-hmm. you know. And you know what I mean? Yeah. So. So were there there was the first ten years, and then you actually left the gallery by choice to pursue art full time. Is that what you're saying? Yes, by and moved to Austin. Okay. To do that in so. 2007, right? Yes. Okay. So. Yeah, it felt like I did the whole, like, you can never go home again. I came home again. <laughs> um, I was born in Austin. I yeah. obviously mentioned growing up in Houston, but I was yeah. born here. My oh. parents were at UT and had my brother and I when they were very young. So, uh, yeah, it was my first two years of my life were on a, in a little duplex at basically I-35 and 35th Street. That's still there. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not for long, right? So it's going to sell the property for $45 million or yeah, something. Exactly. Um, and so what did, what is that, uh, the last 11 years look like, I guess? I don't know. Maybe it's hard to summarize that much, but. Well, it was. Um, the uphill battle. Yeah. Said. Yes. I was. So there's the question of whether one leaps before they look or, or looks before they leap. And it was funny. There was a. And that the cabs, you know, in San Francisco, it's always said, it said, look before you leap, which makes sense when you're exiting a cab. And yeah. then um, a poet that I admire said, has a poem that's leap before you look. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, really ultimately about courage, you know, and just sort yeah. of doing the thing you need to do. Um, and 
I remember actually talking to Jeffrey Frankel and we were had a meeting and we were getting out of the cab and we we joked with each other about is it leap before you look or look before you leap and it was like he asked me well what was my opinion about that and it was like well it's situational I think you know like if you're exiting the cab I think you definitely look before you leap but yeah. when you just decide that you know when your gut removes the sign that says wait 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 and it says it's time to go then you just go so I leaped before I looked and I came to Austin and I was really really in for a shock in all kinds of ways mm. because there weren't I was lucky to get a job at, at Laura Reynolds Gallery working part-time as an artist. So, But that was also – anyway, I did the leap, and then I realized, oh, but I don't have any money. Mm. And that seems very obvious, but it wasn't obvious to me because I was leaping, and so that was what needed to happen. Yeah. But then I realized I needed a job, and of course, it couldn't be full-time because then how would I be doing my work? So I worked part-time at Laura's, and um, that was great for meeting – everyone in Austin because um, everyone went there and I didn't know anyone in Austin. Despite being from Texas, I did not know anyone in Austin. Well, besides my aunt and my cousins, which thank God because they're lovely people and that was fun, but they, they were not related to my career in any way. So yeah, that was a great experience. And then I started teaching. So Mm. after two years um, at Laura's, so segued the part-time job at Laura's to part-time job teaching. And so taught at UT, Texas State, and Southwestern theory mm-hmm. and uh, art history and photography. So all the different areas um, that I had spent time learning about, they all got divided up into class syllabi. Okay. <laughs> like, oh, I can teach a class on that topic. Cause, nice. um, and of course, you know, if you want to learn something, teach it. So that was another form wow. of education for me because the things that I thought that I knew when I actually needed to sort of hammer them into a syllabus and bring them before young minds, it turned yeah. out that I really had to hone up on some things and um, get more specific about what I was talking about. So that was great. I taught for six years. Mm. But the hard part that I'm talking about was was really in the presentation of my work, which was going on at that same time. So I had started to show a lot more and put my work out there. And, and that just really changed the way that I felt about who I am, what my work is, sense of confidence, and, you know, just all of the things that I felt that I could do. The question was whether I was actually doing them <laughs> and yeah. and how it was going. And so... The roller coaster of like triumphs and, th- and, you know, it was like, wow, I'm doing, I always thought that I could do this or I wouldn't have been doing it. Right. But then again, it's like, wow, I'm actually doing it. Wow. I can ride a bike. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, let me see if I can ride it with no hands. Oh, well, I fell over, you know, so, it was, <laughs> um, you know, things would go well and then not well or question, you know, and just life. Yeah. life uh, so. Well, maybe. Let's talk about your exhibition at Gray Duck right now, Weave. And I had just, we just, I overheard you having a conversation with someone. You were saying that you felt like this work has finally kind of gotten to something that you want to say. Like you feel like you finally arrived. Like, tell me about this exhibit and the work. Well, the, there's several parts to the question, of course, and so I'll start with with one, and maybe yeah. we'll weave it back. Th- yeah. maybe weave it back through. <laughs> um, the title was was something I actually really struggled with, and that was so. Four years ago, I started making these collages, which means that I would photograph 
a thing I was interested in, a situation or a, a thing, a plant in particular, a tree, a series of clouds, every, that, that picture over there is the sky at every turnout on the Blue Ridge Parkway, all collaged hmm. together. So it's like from every vantage point on the Blue Ridge Parkway, yeah. those are the clouds. Oh, wow. Um, so making multiple images of, of the same, of a similar scenario or a same kind of situation and combining them together in these kind of complex composites that got at, get at some of the things that I'm concerned with in terms of the lived experience, how we know, how we experience things as light moving through them, a shifting sense of perspective. Um, and I felt like the collage, as I call it, um, or also thought of them as weavings was a strategy and a way of making that allowed that in new ways. So I had previously been doing making books and making diptychs and triptychs, things that extended the frame, had a sense of you're moving through space, you're looking at things from a lot of vantage points. It's how it feels to be in the world. And uh, the weavings, the collages felt like a breakthrough. And so our new way of addressing these same questions. Um, and so I've been doing them for about four years. And in the newest work, a big shift from the collages from the years past mm -hmm. that, um, is the introduction of really vivid color. And that came really f out of just allowing the, the process itself to kind of take over the collaging process. And, and I think I, I was always hesitant to move into an area that felt really fabricated because it was so much about nature, you know, it was so much about being in the world and the world is good and the world looks this way. And like, who am I to mess with that? And who am I to, and then, and then I realized, but obviously this work is also about personal perception and about, again, like what is, what are the sensual takeaways from being in a place? And it, when I think about hmm. how it feels to be lying in my backyard in the hammock, sort of watching the pecan trees, it's not static images of green leaves, you know, it's spectral light. It's like rainbow light moving through and it has pink and it has orange and um, it has all of these colors. And so I was working on this big collage about a year and a half ago of images from Mexico. And it was like the energy of the tropics is like hot pink. And, you know, it's like the rolling waves in the background. It's loud. You can hear the birds in the background. And it felt like, you know, naturalistic color was almost felt unnaturalistic. Mm. You know what I mean? The vibrant colors felt more about my experience of it. And once I allowed myself to make that piece, it was like no turning back. And, um, a professor in graduate school said, Oh, when you're doing something, just take it all the way, go too far. You can always go back. Not true in every aspect of life, but in, in <laughs> experimenting with color, why not? Yeah. So, um, I did, I was just sort of like leaped, uh, before I looked and just went all in with the, with the color experiments and many were very satisfying. And so the show at gray duck includes, is these color experiments and, or they're not color experiments. They're color experiments. I don't know. They're, <laughs> <laughs> um, they're the collages, the weavings with this really vivid color that's describes sort of how I feel about being alive and being in this gorgeous, both contemplative and vibrant and exciting world. Um, it's like your objective view of your experience. 
Yeah. Yeah. It feels, I mean, it feels again, like naturalistic color seems, it's like how when I worked in black and white, you know, I could never work in black and white anymore, even though I know a lot of artists are returning to working in black and white and there's plenty of merits to it. But for me, it seems like the greatest abstraction of the world and in a way that doesn't make sense for what I'm interested in. Yeah. Where natural naturalistic color now seems like that same way to me. It seems fake. It's like a add-on that has nothing to do with how we actually see things or how we actually feel things, you know. It's interesting. Um, people have looked at some of of the new collages and thought, oh, well, it's, it's not, you know, it's almost artificial color. And then I'm, you know, going out looking in these gardens, you know, my own garden and other people's gardens and like, these colors are everywhere in nature. I mean, oh my God, the fuchsias, the like yeah. insane purples. I picked a little wild, we have a wildflower field in our backyard and um, I found a little flower yesterday with my daughter and um, we were picking flowers for her teacher at school and, you know, trim this flower and it's, it was iridescent. It was blue with like, you know, purple veining coming through. It was just like, Oh my God, that is so gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. You know, it is so gorgeous. And then when I, when I make colors like that in pictures, people go, Oh, those are fantastic. But they, you know, they're not in nature, but I'm so glad you're making them in the pictures. Like, Oh, this stuff is everywhere, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I guess many people of course know that, but I'm still discovering all of the bounty of of color in the world so i think that's that's where the work is going and so many collaborations on this project and that and also relates to the word weave um so there there are many meanings for that of that word for me and and it's also related to text right because you wrote some poetry yes so the word text comes from the word weave. There's a relationship there. And I, I think that's really interesting. Um, I think I was talking with you about this last week, actually, Scott, when talking about individual consciousness is, as I see it as, you know, a kind of vertical stripe, you know, if we're all yeah. standing together, and we all have our own individual consciousness, we would end up with like sort of parallel lines, everybody sort of like, has their own thing going, and then we start talking to each other. And you create horizontal lines, you know, of interaction. And um, that's where the weaving happens. And that's where the word text and the word weave come together for me. I mean, I think, I mean, there's the etymology of the words are related, but but that's how I think of it. Um, And so, yeah, that's, that's been really important for me um, as an artist too. And thinking about how I have my concerns, I have the things I want to, think and talk about and then I want to bring those in interaction with the world and and then the physical world and then with other people and so it's I guess it 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 connects on in a lot of different ways for me Mm -hmm. and you also had I think a dance performance at the gallery and then you did a performance at Laguna Gloria and so there's a it's a multifaceted kind of uh thing that you created just it's not just pictures hanging on the wall Right. Um, so yeah, I really experimented with formats and that, you know, included interests that I've had for a long time in terms of thinking about, you know, public space as performative space and that there are, there's so many artists who I share that I'm in dialogue with and that we share common interests. And I wanted as many of those to be involved too and, uh, bring their disciplines and their interests, um, 
into dialogue with it. And so there would be more conversations um, about, you know, the body in space, the poetics. Um, so I commissioned three other poets to write works and, you know, propose the yeah the title of the performance would be Root Branching and be about the relationship of the Anya Galatio sculpture at Laguna Gloria and its roots and what do we sort of, we all have roots and then we are all branches and what do we say to our roots and what are other poets have to say about that? And so it was a wide range of different female poets that came in to address that question of what did the branches say to the roots and, um, Kind of makes me think back to what you were saying about discovering the roots of your own family and kind of the people that you could say they they did something they did something artistic or they yes the turns out my for me most of my roots um, in my lifetime have been uh, you know the grasses and weeds behind the back fence <laughs> um, those are the things that I connected with as a child but yeah the those are my roots. The wide open plains of of Texas. Yeah, maybe to kind of finish this, you would you mind reciting one of your poems? Sure. Grasses and weeds behind the back fence. An image that returns in me. Tall, lean, shards of light grow in as many as the fourth dimension. Into 30 years later, their lives emerge, opening, clearing, space. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I wish we could, uh, we're going to have to do a, a part two, because I mean, just you reading that made me think of another question I had. <laughs> about the death and birth cycle of plants and ecosystems and light and darkness and everything. But anyway, we'll have to do another one. That sounds great. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me, Scott. And uh, just quickly, what are the details of the show for anyone that might catch this interview before it closes? Sure. Uh, Weave is open at Great at Gallery until May 20th, and the gallery is open Thursday through Sunday, basically 11 to 6. I think um, on Sundays it might be 12 to 5. But yeah. the other day is 11 to 6. And do you have anything coming up this year? Otherwise, make note of? Oh, God, thank goodness I get some time to rest. This is like with all the programs, <laughs> been way too much. I don't think I'll weave so much into my schedule okay. next year. But um, I have on the horizon some kind of collaboration with Heloise Gold, who's a performer here in town. It's yeah. just fabulous. And so we're going to work together on something. Mm -hmm. um, but Other than that, enjoy the summer, enjoy your daughter and live looking and forward and take to pictures it and <laughs> yeah. have fun okay. well thank you for your time elizabeth thanks so I much really scott appreciate it. yeah it was fun thanks for listening if you're enjoying the podcast be sure to share it with your friends and colleagues and consider giving it a review on itunes that could help others find it and motivate them to give it a try at austinarttalk.com, you can visit each episode's webpage to find links related to the relevant and interesting people, places, and things mentioned by each guest. And thanks to those who have reached out with encouragement and positive feedback. I really appreciate it. All the best to you and take care.